Hey everyone, this is Rita Springer and welcome again to the Rita Springer Podcast. I am excited about everything this year holds. I hope that so many of you that are listening to this really feel expectation in 2023 as opposed to what the last couple years has held for a lot of us. So that's my prayer for us. And um, I'm just so grateful that you continue to join me around this little table of honest talk and truths and just talking about things that are on my heart to talk about. You know, whatever I do, I just really want to be an encouragement to people and to throw hope and life, even if it's in just this brief moment or something that um, that God's given me that I could throw out there, you know, that just maybe blesses you or makes sense to um, something that you're dealing with or walking through that brings a little light and hope. That's really my heart. I am, I am uh, kind of packed. My schedule's really packed this year and um, kind of on this crazy new adventure of um, trying to just do all these kind of things and see if they work and see what sticks and, um, and really kind of in the avenue of, of just stuff I love to do, like writing and speaking and, um, and just mentoring and, and just really good communication all, all around. So, uh, I have, um, partnered with you and me media for the podcast. I'm so grateful for their, um, their role in getting this out to my audience every week, um, without fail. And their editor, um, Courtney, who is just amazing. I'm so grateful for, um, how they just spend time and, and they throw courage and they throw belief on me. We, we've kind of, um, opened up the, uh, avenue of Patreon, uh, this month as well, where you can go on the readerspringer.com website and we have our own Patreon page and you can go to that place. If you don't know much about Patreon, you can go to patreon.com, search my name and find out. It's just a, a, a really beautiful, um, tier type of offering of, um, different concepts and different things that I want to be doing teaching. Um, we're going to call these teaching nights once a month, general session. And, and then I'll be doing some Bible studies and, um, even, um, releasing some, some blogs. And I think I'll even start releasing just chapters of, of a book I'm writing and, uh, and just lots of different things. I, I'm even hoping to create space to just really well record some live worship on Patreon, uh, in just different categories, like, you know, just soaking sessions that if you're one that gets up early and just wants to talk to the Lord or journal or whatever, or sit in the quiet, um, and you're, you're a Patreon user, you can kind of go to that tier of my Patreon page and, and perhaps just, uh, start downloading some of those soaking sessions. So a lot of really amazing things that are kind of on the forefront that we'll be doing this year, kind of rolling them out, uh, slowly and just seeing what really works and what people are really needing. Again, it's just my heart to encourage and to bless and to just, uh, maybe put some positive vibes out there. There seems to be so many negative vibes. It's like, it'd be really great to put some positive vibes out there. 
I'm actually podcasting from the road. Um, have a pretty significant travel schedule. So trying to juggle everything with travel has been a little bit uh, tricky. But what I do love about the travel still, I don't really enjoy the travel per se. Um, the packing and the getting on planes and standing in lines and delayed flights and sitting on tarmacs. None of that has ever been something that I've ever really enjoyed. But uh, what I do love is I love the connection with the church. I love the church. Uh, I love connecting with pastors and leaders across the country and and just serving them in the vision that God's given them in their conferencing and their church, you know, events and all kinds of things. So um I I know that's still something that I love to do and haven't pulled um totally off the road yet uh, because the Lord hasn't really told me to. So um for those of you out there that are wondering if um I'm still booking and doing things. I'm I'm doing that as well. It's why I have all these balls in the air and just the Lord is helping me with my time management. But all that to say that exciting, new, wonderful things are coming and um, I can't wait to share them with you. So I hope that somehow it sparks interest and um, those of you that need it the most uh, come and uh, get what you need. So um, I thought I would do uh, I know I do, I've done this in the dive school quite a bit, uh, because a lot of what came through dive and students in the, uh, kind of the first 13, 14 years that we did it, I, um, really, you know, just gathered these creatives and a lot of them were just songwriters. And so a lot of them came with the intention, oh, we're going to learn how to structure a song. We're going to learn how to get some encouragement with that. And, and what they didn't expect to find was that God would actually really start dealing with a lot of this stuff that keeps us from our gift. And even in the mentorship program that I started in January, which if you want to be a part of that, um, We'll be releasing news for the next kind of chapter of the mentor, uh, the mentorship program where I'm just meeting one on one once a week with, with people who are interested just to, to glean and to uh, gain understanding, whether it's technically, um, uh, needing, you know, just things, uh, in, in songwriting encouragement or music encouragement or worship team dynamic encouragement or leadership or whatever it is, or just, uh, encouragement in general from life. But, I always, when I start, uh, I did it throughout the dive school and, and in mentoring, I really go after the heart. I just really go after the heart, sit with the heart, um, talk to the person about where the heart is connected, where there's um, epicenters of grief and trauma and certain things like that. Not because it's it's like a counseling session, although it sometimes feels like that, but because if we are to think that our creative um, juices and our creativity isn't connected to our emotional stability or emotional awareness. Uh, I think we're, we're kind of totally kidding ourselves. Uh, I, I've said it before here on, on the podcast. I think when I was talking about the, the creative expression is that, you know, God sets everything in motion. And, and when he sets this stuff in motion in the beginning, Creative expression is one of the biggest things that he uses. And it's the thing that, you know, I, I have said over and over, you know, um, you know, the conversation I had with the Lord, but the Lord just said to me, you know, I, I, I didn't need, you know, I wasn't depressed when I created the universe. I didn't need to be on, you know, Prozac to create the universe. And 
Obviously, what I'm saying isn't that if anybody has to use antidepressants for their anxiety or whatever, I think if that's what helps you, that's amazing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that from the Lord's perspective, he didn't need to get dark or didn't need to get depressed or in some mood kind of emotion in order to create the universe. He created it within light. He created it within a sound mind. He created it with a complete wholeness. And if he made all of that stuff in complete wholeness, and we are kind of um, these heartfelt, emotional writers that write out of our grief and our trauma that the Lord's like, it's the mercy that I let you find creativity in your sorrow, because it's almost like that that our sorrow, the, the creativity part of us highlights sometimes in our sorrow or sometimes in our grief or our wanderings and becomes almost more... Um, uh, pliable in those in those areas. It, it almost acts like gasoline to fuel. But if God didn't need that in order to create, then God's mercy is on us that we need it in order to create. And so I, I love that imagery of God that he's like, while you're in your wrestle, let me allow you to be creative so that it actually provides this sense of breathing um, through your stuff that you can paint in the midst of something that it's actually really good for your brain to um, to do something creative in order to depart from that intense feeling of sorrow or anxiety or fear or um, trauma, whatever whatever happens in your life, it, it seems like even even under a psychological you know evaluation that when when people that are are really struggling. Uh, with darkness, have an outlet in the creative. It's a very healthy process for them in, in kind of, uh, coming to, uh, sanity and coming to, to, uh, a wellness in, uh, in what they struggle with. And so I love that God uses that. And I think that there's just beauty in songwriting itself. And I would never classify myself as somebody who, was or had any kind of a corner market on songwriting at all. Like that's not, I just w would never even go down those roads because I, I know my own limitations. I know what it is I'm really great at and what it is I probably can need to continue to learn. I do think that w with our, any, any, you know, creative, uh, avenue that we go down that we can become better and better and better and better at something. So where, I see a lot of writers that remind me, gosh, so much of myself when I was, you know, 16, 17, writing really bad poetry or really kind of sad, dark poetry. Uh, I could see, you know, I could, I could see, uh, the, the beginning stages of somebody that's trying to actually find the words to describe places. Some of us will go, um, down the road of, expertise and wanting to learn and wanting to glean and wanting to learn and wanting to glean. I don't think it's all about knowledge. I don't think it's all about being tutored or being schooled in how to write the perfect song. I think there's a lot of motion that's attached to what we do in the creative realm. And so we will have the highs and lows kind of based on where our emotional status is. But with songwriting, you know, you can start off as a kind of a, I mean, I don't mean to put it bluntly, but kind of a lame songwriter. It's, it's the one thing where it's like, everybody knows how to rhyme fog and dog. You know, we, we understand rhyming from early years of, of English class and grant in grammar school and stuff, but to actually understand or not be afraid of 
putting lyrics together or, or finding the right way to say something or being willing to look up and, you know, uh, keep, uh, you know, the thesaurus, uh, you know, next to you and the definition book next to you, the dictionary next to you and, and understand synonyms and all those things that kind of expound your territory, so to speak, on how to actually progressively get better and better and better and better, better at it. You know, back when I was young, you could, you, you know, the, the, one of the highest things would be go, to go to Juilliard or go to, you know, uh, to Boston to, to learn, uh, the, the dialect or the, the real true course of songwriting. And actually there was one of my interns, sweetest little gal in the whole wide world that took some courses at Berkeley in, uh, in Boston. And, and, um, and so she kind of had this almost, it was, it was, it was a heady way of about it because it was a trained knowledge. And I was always from such an emotional kind of a understanding of it. It was kind of in me. But it was really fascinating her bringing things to the table that were just classic formats of why does a song get on the radio? Why, you know, because the brain, it really kind of interacts with how the brain hears a song, hears a melody, and then translates that melody based on emotion. So you have to almost understand when you are, I'm listening to the radio, the radio has an understanding, those that are putting those songs out on the radio has an understanding of just the way that your brain hears sounds. One of the best books I've ever read is this really fascinating book uh, called This Is Your Brain on Music. It's not a Christian book. It's a, um, it's by secular writer, uh, David Levitin, I think is his name. And he, um, he's kind of like this neuroscience guy that, that really makes this incredibly beautiful, heady, um, but phenomenal connection between the way that our brain, um, you know, connects to music and, and, and composition and structure and all of those things. And I found it quite fascinating because I understood it. You know, when you, when you, um, wonder why, why is elevator music, you know, the way that it is? And why do you go in the grocery store and they have, you know, this certain songs that all of a sudden you start humming? There's a, there's a tactic way. And I, maybe most of you guys know this, but there is a, tactical way that that all of this means something that um there's there's a behind the behind the behind so you know elevator music is to calm you down especially when you're in an elevator you know you you know they don't play a lot of like um hyper music in elevators or i don't even know if they play music in elevators anymore but the concept back in the day because i'm always going to date myself is um is that you know you 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 just played calm music to calm the soul because, because experts knew that, you know, that, that calm music actually turns your brain waves to certain, you know, responses. And it's the same thing in grocery stores. They want you to linger and buy things you don't need. And so they're using music in, in the overture of, of the speakers to actually get you to engage in the store more. So I, th- I think even songwriting, when I present it to, you know, to, to a class of students, I'm always really like trying to present, um, the whole idea of wh- why we do this. Like, why, why do we do this? Why do we listen to music? Why is music important? And what is it to you that you are wanting and desiring to actually compose it? Some of us have that 
in us at a very young age where we just have a, like a, a kind of a built-in talent to put those things together. I mean, I've, I've seen some 15, 16 year old kids that can write songs that kind of blow my mind. I mean, some of the stuff that would come through the school, uh, the dive creative school that I led for years, is just like, whoa, like I was just blown away because I, I don't know that I had that. Did I know that I had something? Yes. I knew that I had something in songwriting, but I, I knew that I needed to be better at it. And of course, anything creative that you're doing, you're going to enter into a comparison game um, because it's just the way that it is. If, if, if 5 million people, 20 million people are doing the same thing you're doing and you're, some of you are in a room together, there is a competitive force that's, that the world has kind of made this, this, um, platform of of competition with with regard to these things because the world doesn't recognize or the, or the industry doesn't recognize something unless it makes a mark somewhere and so as songwriters sometimes we are we're trying to 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 get what's in us seen by other people so that so that there's a validation in there and everybody wants to write the right, right song everybody want, wants to write the coolest song and i think that the the most important thing is as, as a songwriter whether you're a new songwriter or whether you're like, gosh, I, I would love to actually be better at this, be better at something I started or something I've been doing and be able to become, become a little bit better at this. I think you just have to realize that it, it is also up to you to want to know, um, all different kinds of facets of, of how to do it better, how to, how to, um, launch yourself out and engage yourself out. One of the first things that I did as a young kind of writer is I, I just started exploring different kinds of music. Now, when you grow up in the church and any of you grow up in, in any sorts of religion, you know, th there's this, uh, there's kind of this like, uh, banner that's over some of us that have grown up on religious, you know, in religious outposts that, you know, listening to secular or what we call mainstream music or, or what in the writing world we call sync music. It's, it's almost like, like this, defiling thing that we're going to like set ourselves, you know, apart and, and, and not, not go down that road of that. I just don't, I don't kind of give a flying fig. Now when I say that it's just because I'm, I'm not saying that I am all about compromising music because that's really what we're, we're talking about. Christians are afraid of music that, you know, that, that feels compromised and music that's not under the Christian banner. I just, you know, let me just lay it out there for you. Every Christian label is owned by a, most of them are owned by a secular sub-label. So it's all running through a marketplace, market streaming place anyway. So when you're, when you're writing or listening, the genre which we, you listen to your whole life is usually the vein in which you will write. Unless you are an outside the box kind of, uh, writer where you just, you're, um, you know, you're, you're, library of of different styles of music is just like massive and those actually make some of the best writers because if you're in this one vein and this one vein only and that's the vein you're in you actually lose sight of all this other connect connectability that you have in understanding how lyrics are formed understanding um how the rhyme schemes work 
because in certain genres, it's expected to do certain things and you've got to kind of branch yourself out. And I'm, you know, I don't, I don't mean to sound harsh about the industry that I've been in. I love the, 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 the industry that I've been in with the Christian industry. I think it's amazing. I've had the hardest time, uh, myself as an artist getting my songs, um, understood and listened to, but that was because I wasn't about to sell out to write like somebody else. I, I was trying to explain this the other day to um, one of my students and, and trying to explain when you're, when you're leading worship or when it's your personality that's on stage, there's a lot of like different kinds of leaders. And so we mimic what we think we really love the most. And instead of like, being who we are and finding the, our own vein and how we see things, how we say things and how we grab a hold of, um, that for ourselves. We, we tend to first mimic what we see. And I don't think that that's, that's as, as we're talking about songwriting, that that's actually a wrong approach. Because I think that if you're a new upcoming songwriter, I think mimicking is really great because sometimes you know, mimicking a songwriter or mimicking a song can actually just be an exercising of that muscle. But it's kind of like in worship leading, I remember there were so many really great worship leaders around me that were so instructional, right? They were so classically instructional. And it seemed like it worked with audiences that needed instruction. You know, we go to churches that some of us have a staring contest when we're, when we're um, leading worship with people that really don't know how to express themselves in a, an abandonment kind of format. Or maybe your church just isn't like that. Maybe it's a more conservative approach, but. I cannot lead or, or I, I used to, to, uh, give the illustration of like driving a bus. Like, you know, I knew worship leaders that were really great at, at, at opening the door of the bus, letting the people come on, giving the people instruction and telling them, this is a bus. This is how many miles an hour we're going. These are how many stops we're making so that everybody was aware of what we were, um, we were, you know, in for on that drive. And then when I got in the bus, I usually closed the door and people that were late headed out before, you know, and I was like, look, you get on or, or I'll leave you behind. That was my worship leading style. And that was fine in my trying to figure out who I was, but there is a level of instruction where you have to be like, okay, you've got all of these people with you. How are you going to influence them to follow what you're saying to a level of abs absolute belief? And then have what your words are saying and how, whether you're leading or you're writing a song, how those words lay upon their heart the way that it laid upon your heart. And so my intentions as a songwriter was always really to find the kind of word phrasing that I knew meant everything to me, that I understood. I was born with a poetic bent. I see things visually. I love poetry. I love romance. I love the whole picture of intimacy and um, the approach of uh, of coming under the influence of something better than you and what it feels like and what you think when, when you engage in that kind of, you know, encounter and, and when you're saved from a fate worse than death, what did that feel like? I just wanted to articulate it in a way that had never been articulated before. But I think that was my vein as a lyricist because 
I I just knew lyrics were my thing. My love of words was my thing. I did never I never wanted to be afraid of words. I wanted to welcome words. I used to um I used to actually find a new word a week and the task was to see how many times that word could be used in a sentence or how many times I could, I could, um, you know, drop that word in a conversation because I would wrap myself around the meaning of a word so that it stuck with me in case I ever needed to pull on that word for, you know, a song, a song, right. And what I'm actually loving as a mother watching justice. Now I, again, I'm a mom that's like, the kid doesn't have ceilings, you know, it's like reach for the stars, kid, reach for the stars. We're not religious in our household. Um, I, I really hone in on relationship with God, relationship with God, the need of Christ, the need of Christ, but that God fuels his creative expression. So he's rap, he's trap, he's all those things. But I, I noticed him as a, you know, he's 18 now, but as a young writer, it's fascinating for me to see because two years ago, he wouldn't even put his voice to anything. It was all instrumental. And I used to say, these, these beds and loops and pads that you have are amazing to, you know, they're amazing things to write lyrics out of. I can hear lyrics when you lay down these beds and these loops and these pads. Why aren't you writing lyrics to this? And he was like, oh, I just don't know. I don't know. And I knew he was very leery about that. And so he just started listening to more songs and doing, you know, more, more, I think, research. I would, I would listen to him. I hear this from the downstairs. I, or when I come up, I sit on the top of the stairs and I just listen to him, like, you know, watch YouTube videos on, on making this or doing this or, you know, or he's on the internet looking up the meaning of a word or whatever. And, and then all of a sudden I would hear, I started hearing upstairs, I think he's, I think he's trying to write lyrics. Like sometimes I would see um, flashes of notes in his phone. If I would ever like do a check on his phone, I'd be like, oh my gosh, he's starting to write lyrics. And I, I just let him have that zone. Like he had to learn it, but he was fascinating for me because it gushed out of me. But Justice's, um, youth, Justice's, like the way that he thinks is he's not going to do anything until he's certain that he can accomplish it to a certain degree or that he can actually succeed fully at it. And so he's very cautious and negated. Some of you guys are like that where, you know, you just want to, your information highways, you want to know all the information before you even set out on the journey. I was always the kind that was like, we'll pick up boots on the way. We'll pick up soap on the way and, and we can, we can just learn on the way. And so, and I think part of that was because, you know, there were six of us and I was left alone dreaming to myself a lot. So, you know, I had, remember in my, if you listen to my testimony, I had 350 acres to just run wild and dreaming. And so I would write scripts in my, in my head and, and I would act out things because I was going to be an actress and I would act out, you know, things in the middle of a field. And, and so I was always thinking, 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 thinking these crazy thoughts and these crazy and so for me, it was much, it was just verbal processing that I just verbally processed it. Now I've gone back to some of my old journals and read whew, some of my poetry and it's pretty dark. I mean, it's pretty dark. It's very melancholic. And my early years of writing were very melancholic. So I kind of chuckle, you know, Justice and I had a conversation about some of the lyrics that he was writing. And, and instead of being like, you know, a, a ding dong parent and squel squelching or squashing a creative kid. 
out of my fear of his, you know, process, you know, I just was like, man, those lyrics are super dark. I'm like, what influenced you to write those lyrics? Because we're all influenced, right? Like, like, where does this come from? Like, are you feeling these things? No, no, man. No. He said, I, I just have been, there's an artist that I've been listening to. He listens to a lot of like, um, SoundCloud guys that he, he kind of likes finding the, uh, the, uh, indie kind of artistry, which I think is co- really cool of him. But, um, he just was like, I've been listening to this one guy and I wanted to see, I wanted to challenge myself to see if I could write a song, you know, in that kid's vein. And I'm like, Wow. I said, I, I actually love the push in that, that you're challenging yourself to see if you can write like that. And I think that's really great. I said, but I want you to understand in the process of writing music that the lyrics and the the dynamics that you put into a song has influence. So when you listen to that guy's song, what were you influenced to do? And he said, well, to write a song that sounded like that, right. You're influenced to write a song that sounds like that. And I said, which that's not wrong. But then when you write a song that sounds like that, what is your influence that you give away? And he said, maybe the same thing. I said, yes, the same thing. But when you listen to his lyrics, what do you feel? He's like sad. I'm like, right. So he has the ability to put you in an emotion with those lyrics that actually creates this sad swirl around you. And then you write the sad swirl. And then what do you give away? But you give away the sad swirl. I said, there's a lot of sad swirling going on, which is maybe part of your learning process. But I want, I was telling him, I'm like, I want you to understand the influence and the power behind the phrasing. And I think it's so incredibly, uh, wise of us to understand that early on as songwriters. Lyrics have influence. The power of your words, scripture is very clear on the, the, the words that come out of your mouth have the power of either life or death. And if, if the Lord is saying that to us, then that means the enemy knows that we have the ability to speak power from our being. And so he's going to want to influence our music any way that he can, much like obviously the Lord wants to influence our music the way that it benefits, whether it's mainstream or whether it's, you know, Christian music, uh, you know, faith-based music. I, I, I just don't think, I'm just, this is a side note, you guys. This is a side note because I, I really want to make it, it clear from my perspective. I do not view God as a book burning God or a music burning God. I view God as someone who's giving you the challenge to understand what's right and wrong, what is compromising and what is not compromising, what leads you astray and what doesn't lead you astray. Music, the creative arts, it's a powerful tool. Can the enemy use it to lead you astray? Absolutely. But, 
if the plan of the enemy is to have you write songs that lead people astray, you're already in a place before you write this song of being led down a dark path. So the influences we have to understand, we hold influence. And however it is you're going to learn how to do something in the creative world, it's going to either benefit or it's going to bring a hollow sense to the people that view it. I've never yet walked into an art gallery and stood in front of some of the oldest paintings that I've ever seen and not felt something in the process of that and been deeply, deeply influenced by strokes on a canvas, creating an illusion or a picture of something that literally drives my emotions to leak down my face. And so we have the ability and the power between our words and our actions to influence for the better or for the worse. And part of it is just a journey to learn what you really want to influence people in when, especially when you're writing songs. Um, we, there, there's a generation now, especially in the church that we have set you up in the last 10, 15 years, maybe we've set you up to think of this almost as a, uh, a, a tier level, um, road to being recognized as, uh, this great songwriter, worship leader. This is how you do it. This is how you get in there. This is how you get people to listen to you. And I, not for everybody, I know that's not for all of you, but I see that a lot, maybe because of, of, obviously what I do for a living and the kind of people that I meet with. But if your, if your approach to songwriting is anything other than I want to learn how to express something that God's given me, whether it's to heal people in the world or whether it's to heal people in the church, then, then you have to make that identification. That is part of your DNA. And then the struggle is constantly that you keep your faith, that you keep your, your purity, that you keep your, so that God can kind of grow on that. I'm writing songs now that I could have never written 10, 15, 20 years ago because I didn't have the authority to write them, nor did I have the maturity to write them. So I started writing songs and did an EP, you know, on folk, you know, I, I loved folk rock. And so I used to write a bunch of storytelling folk rock because I was very influenced by, you know, McLaughlin and Paula Cole and Tori Amos back in the day and Alanis Morissette and Jane Arden and Jonathan Brooke. Those are like, those are some of my go-to secular storytelling things. Were some of them compromising? Yes. You had to be a little bit careful, but I'd matured enough to understand that really what I found fascinating was their way to pull together phrasing their, their way to pull together melodic, you know, um, music that, 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 that created this, this beautiful kind of like cadence on lyrics. And, and I learned from those people as much as I learned from the Amy Grants and the, you know, Darlene Checks and, and, you know, some of the greats in, in worship as well. 
but mimicking, you know, going back to that mimic thing to mimic, that, that was my training ground. I, I remember when I sent out my first cassette tape to record labels in Nashville when I was like in my 20s um, with songs that I'd written in my letter back, one of my letters back, I think it was from Sparrow or I don't or word. And it was just like, thank you so much for your songs. We appreciate you sending it in. We, we, you know, have an Amy Grant. We don't need another Amy Grant, but thank you so much. And I realized, oh man, I missed it because I was trying to mimic her sound because her sound was the sound that was out there. Her songs were the songs that were out there at the time of, she was influencing me in, in my youth. And so, you know, I think mimicking is a great start, but I realized, you know, pretty much, you know, soon after that, I've got to make my own mark at, at what I do because I had a voice that nobody else had. I had a texture and a raw thing that nobody else had. I had an honesty and an integrity that I wasn't seeing from a lot of um my peers. And so I was confused a lot of the time because I was I was wondering why I was being rejected when when every time I opened my mouth to sing, people were like, good grief you know, I, you've got a gifting. And I going to tell you, it was shunned by a record label because I didn't weigh, I wasn't skinny enough back then. So there were a lot of things up against me at that point, but I wanted those things, even in their kind of hardships to influence how I started to write out my life story. And so a lot of my early songs were about the journey of trying to find acceptance, trying to find God's acceptance, trying to find, you know, my own identity, trying to, to release, uh, uh, to the Lord and, and that, that closet time of worship and then intimacy, you know, man, I'm so thankful for the Vineyard Church and my journey with the Vineyard Church, you know, back in the late nineties, um, you know, mid nineties and, and, and just the, uh, the, the way that those songs shaped my worship, shaped my, um, maturity in finding the Lord. You know, I, I remember, I don't, I don't know if this, I'm going to tell the story correctly, but I, I, uh, I remember John Wimber, who's the founder of the Vineyard Church. It was just this wise guy. He originally was part of the Righteous Brothers, I think, back, back in the day. And, and then he ended up church planning, got saved in church planted this, you know, church called the Vineyard and, and ended up being one of the largest church plants across the world and, and then opened up this Vineyard music group, which led, you know, ex- kind of exploded the whole world of, of worship back with Maranatha and Integrity. And you had Maranatha and Integrity, and then there was Vineyard. And, and those songs were the predominant songs that we were singing on on Sunday mornings and they were these simple three chord songs, right? They, they didn't have much to them. And that was taking the church by storm because they weren't these complicated hymns. And they were these like beautiful, I exult the kind of choruses that were just unraveling people's hearts. And I think some of that is the season that we were in as a church where we needed the simplicity and the focus of Christ, which is what Wimber actually, you know, his motto was to just, just, come as you are. Like Jesus will receive you as you are. He will come and heal you. And so our songs kind of reflected a lot of that, you know, the, the refiners fire songs and, you know, um, cast all my cares upon you songs, you know, they're just these simple, simple things. I felt like I cut my teeth on the best of it because while I was, 
in my um, struggle and in my weaknesses and in my trying to learn how to navigate emotion and putting it through my songs. Those that those are beautiful, you know, moments to be like, oh, like I want to write like this and I want to write like this. And I want to write like this. And I remember um, Wimber telling a story to those of us writers that were gathered in a. Uh, in a retreat once for the vineyard. And he talked about how he was on a plane somewhere and, and, and was sitting near Elton John, you know, one of the great writers in the, the mainstream market, you know, of my day. And, and he, uh, he just leaned over and said, uh, I thank you so much for your, for your music. And, Again, I'm not sure how this whole thing went down, but from what Wimber said, you know, um, Elton just said, you're, you're, you're John Wimber and you're the one that brought revival to the, the church in England because it was a big deal what Wimber did in, in England and, and pretty much everybody knew it. And his whole point was, you don't know the kind of influence that you have over people that you would never think, um, hear about your influence. And so he, you know, I loved Wimber because he understood, the art of artistry. He understood the, the, the heart of the artist, but he was also a songwriter and he understood how music played a huge part and that songs had to be written in order to, um, to, to bring the church to a place where, um, it, its doors were open and people could come in. Music was the, was a huge reason that people were so drawn to the vineyard outside of Wimber. Music was such a huge reason for that. And I loved what he used to tell us writers. He used to say, you know, for the vineyard movement, his vision was that God gave us the songs. We gave the songs to the church. And then the church then gave the songs back to the Lord. And so when we wrote for the vineyard back then, that was our, our motto to write from, that we were asking God for songs. God was dropping songs in our lap. And then we were giving songs to the, the people to sing, teaching these songs to the people. The people were singing these songs. And then the people then were, were giving the songs back to the Lord. And I loved that visual. I love that visual as a new up and coming songwriter, even for the church, because I needed a perspective on how to write. And I think it's, it's when those songs kind of came out of me, um, that I, uh, I, I think I, I did the song, story podcast with you are still holy and songs like that and make us a prayer and and because of that imagery because of that um you know articulation of like this is what you're doing this for and in that season it was incredibly valid because it taught me how to be a songwriter for what I was doing with the vineyard church and then created a platform for me to continue writing in that even though on the sideline I wrote these crazy, you know, songs. I wish I, I wish in the podcast I could sit down and sing these songs. I have a whole EP that I never released. I could upload. I mean, just when the, when the album was finished, it was a five song EP, I think called to the moon. And when it was finished, we didn't, of course that was way before the download era. I'd sell the CDs until all the CDs ran out but it wasn't anything that ever went anywhere outside of just me having to actually get that side of myself out because I, I, I'm like, I'm, I don't just walk in this one lane. And I think it's what 
15 years ago, if you would have said, oh gosh, can you write a country song? I would have been like, um, I write worship music and I would be afraid of the lane of country or the lane of pop or the lane of this. And, and now I'm like, oh gosh, I could be in a room with anybody and write it. Because one of the things that I, I did was I just, I opened my palette and I began to listen to jazz and I would listen to, you know, easy listening stuff. And I would listen to some classical and, and then I would go into pop and I would go into alternative rock. And the only thing I really didn't like, which I was like, I'll never write this is heavy metal. I just wasn't a heavy metal girl. I wasn't a hard rock girl. I wasn't a kid rock girl. I just didn't, that just wasn't at my vein. Now, I loved me some Rush back in the day. I loved me some Rush, but I think why I was drawn to Rush is because of their lyrics. Um, I used to have a friend in high school uh, that, um, you know, was just one of those friends that she was obsessed with Rush. I can still remember she was obsessed with the band Rush and and um, we would sit in her bedroom and we would just go over all their lyrics, you know, and read all their lyrics and, and just try to dissect everything. And I did that as a kid. Like I did that as a teen with my friends. It was like we were dissecting lyrics to try to find out what they really meant. Because I remember being frustrated in English class in high school with Edgar Allan Poe and thinking, you know, the, the English teacher was having us try to dissect really what, you know, these poets were actually saying. And then, and then they were revealing what they were saying based on this stuff. And, and to me, it was just fascinating. And I think it's why lyrics are my strong suit. You know, I love melody lines, but lyrics are really my strong suit because I fell in love with words. And I think when you're uh, an up and coming songwriter, to have an understanding of words and to have a love of words kind of makes all the difference in the world. And so my base, my base point is all of these areas in my life where it's like, I just threw all this stuff into the hat and realized, gosh, I really love to write music and I love to write poetry and I may not be really good at this, but I want to get better at this. And so the early stages of songwriting were, you know, they were wonky and they were just like weird and, um, I re- I do remember the first lyrics of the first song I ever wrote in my life. And my sister, um, my sister Debbie, who just passed away this past August, um, honestly, I, I'm ha- going to have to give her credit for so much because I, I just loved music because of her. She taught herself how to play the guitar. Um, and she was a phenomenal guitar player, had a phenomenal understanding of music. I, um, I was blown away by this course that she wrote, um, this musical course that she wrote for kids that I think actually could have been all over the internet, but it was called Mr. and Mrs. Note. And she had this whole um, illustrated cartoon-like characters that taught children how to actually make a song and put the song together. But she was brilliant in, in her understanding of music and brilliant in her, you know, she was from the Joni Baez day and the John Denver day and and um, she would just write these just stunning, absolutely stunning songs that were um, storytelling songs. And we would always just be like, play the song, play the song, play the song around campfires and stuff. And my my brother has visited me recently and and we were talking about her and and he mentioned this song and I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot this song. And he's like, if we could ever find that song on tape, that would be the best. Because there were just she was just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful songwriter. And I I learned from her passion of songwriting kind of how to 
how to how to find a love for this stuff. But I remember that I wanted to make her so proud of me. So I was like, I'm going to compose my first song. And it was it was called Ransom, you know, because I had been dealing with all this stuff. And it was in that moment, in this moment where I was just like giving God my all. And, and I just remember the first opening line of it was, all alone on a hill. It was a song talking to the Lord. It was like, all alone on a hill with the back of your father turned, you died and my ransom was paid. I mean, and that was pretty deep for, I'm going to say, a 15-year-old at the time. And I remember sitting down and playing that for my sister. And and she did acknowledge it. She was like, yeah, that's really, really great. But then she kind of poured into me you know, just a moment of like, just keep at it, just keep at it, just keep at it. Because from where I was, my perspective was with her, um, she could do no wrong. She understood how to connect lines. And because she was so musically inclined, she understood how to do that as well. But those are like incredible pinpoints in my life where the reason I think I remember that, I, I, I doubt it's anywhere on cassette tape. It'd be on cassette tape somewhere. I, I, I mean, who owns a cassette player? I would have to like find a cassette player to play some of this stuff. But I, I loved those early days of, of just flushing out what I felt like I wanted to do with my life. And, and I knew that a big part of it had to be songwriting. And yes, you get caught up in, uh, it would be really great if someone heard my song. It would be really great if someone valued my song. But really the, the beginning stages of songwriting is to identify that you have, you have a, a, a love for sound, a love for lyrics, and you love the art of putting things together. And you're, you're a poet. You're a poet by nature. And if you're not those things, but you, but you really want to write a song and you feel stuck every time you sit down, I think that you're flushing out something that you actually can learn, but I've not met a lot of songwriters who are trying to be something that's, that, that, that thing is not already in them. Like you, you, if you want to be it, it's usually probably in you somewhere. And some of you just have to go after it with aggression more than others do. Some, it just lays on the surface of everything they are. They're just there. They just see it. That's just who they are. And they could sit and write a song, you know, every day. You know who I think is, is that in a nutshell is, um, Holly Miller, uh, she goes by the name of Holland, but she, to me, she is one of the, I mean, just sitting down with her. I just, I, I there's listening to her talk and then listening to her lead. Honestly, the best concert of any of the big concerts I've ever been to in my life in stadiums was her sitting on a bar stool in a room singing her songs. And I just was floored by her, her just the ease that she goes about just, just writing it out, just writing it out, just writing it out. And, and her lyrics that just kind of tack themselves together in beauty and, and connection. It just, I just was, I, she's one of the top people for me. The other one is, is actually Anna Golden, who's, um, you know, a Christian artist and, uh, has written a lot of incredible songs, but man, when that girl sits down to write pop, the whole world just changes. And I, I love her. I love writing songs with her. I love writing songs for the church with her because I love her love for the church. And she's so gifted at songwriting and she's incredibly, incredibly gifted at, at melodies. But man, when that girl sits down to write pop, it's like, oh, this is what she was born to do. 
and it's just flows out of her like, you know, like, like honey. And that, that is like stunning for me because I really did have to work on it. It didn't just, it flowed out of me by nature, but to really get to the point where you were really good at it, I had to really mature a lot. And this generation of singers, it, it feels like God's given them this extra sauce just to get through, um, <laughs> just to get through some trauma. I don't know, but there's something about some of these songwriters and I will just sit on Apple and just go through and look at the rhythm of, of how these, these young people are writing songs. And most of it's just incredible pop stuff and folk stuff and, um, alternative stuff. But I would suggest that, you know, in this, in this first episode, I'm just going to really throw out there, man, find out who you are, find out what you love, find out if you are the kind of person that loves, uh, to go after words and lyrics. What's your vein? Are you melodies? Do you love melodies? Are you always hearing melodies in your head? You know, are you like, like a chorus finder? Like, are you a hook finder? You know, when we, we talk about hooks and that thing that grabs you in a song, are you a hook finder? Is that what God's given you to, to go after? I mean, what is your, what's your position? Like, what position do you play? I've been in some really amazing song rights and one in particular, um, and I love the way the, the, the young artist said it, you know, I was like, well, I don't want to take over writing lyrics. Like if you've got another lyric that you want to put in here, then so be it. And I remember she just said to me, well, that's your lane. Like this, right. It seems like that's your lane and that's great. If that's your lane and this is his lane, then I'll pick up this lane. And I thought, how, how amazing. I was like, yeah, there's a writer that's been in writing rooms and has used maturity is that she, she notices which lane in the room, um, she, that isn't fulfilled and she finds herself in that lane so that it kind of, uh, helps in the jockeying of position in some, in some co-writes where, you know, you got two really great lyricists and one's throwing out lines and the other's bashing the other one's lines and, and, and trying to one up the, the lines because there are two really great lyricists in the room. I don't do that. I won't play that game. I, um, I start when I am in a writing room, um, it's kind of a joke that I'm a court reporter, but I open my laptop and I automatically just start writing things in poetic form with what's being said in the room. So if we're like, well, what do you want to write about today? And and they pull out like, ah, oh, I don't know, I've been really struggling with fear, this and this and this. I'll just write down these poetic formats for struggling with fear and da, 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 while they're talking and while we're working it out. And then sometimes the producers in the room will just look at me and say, what do you got, Rita? And that's because that's how my brain ticks. But somebody else may be doing that. And I pull off and be like, man, that person's got the lane for lyrics right now. I'm backing out of this. And I'll find a lane. I'll find a melody lane to get into. But you learn that in maturity. You learn that by being out there a lot, doing it. And you don't have to become like that from the gate. From the gate, you just need to know what, what's your position, like football. What position do you play? What position in songwriting do you, do you feel like you're really great at? Lyrics, music, you know, structure, um, production. Like what is your, what is the lane? Um, and what is your position as a songwriter? And, and identifying that really helps 
you grow in that position and then, and then understand other positions and then learn to lean into maturity in those other positions. So I hope that's been really helpful in this first part one of this is just know your position in songwriting. What lane are you in and how can you mature that lane? How can that lane actually help you grow as a songwriter and become better and better and better? And then you maybe migrate from that lane into another lane and migrate from that lane into another lane and just keep getting better and better at your craft. So um, next uh, podcast on this, we'll really talk about um, coming into songwriting from the, from the place of structure. And uh, hopefully that'll encourage you, uh, especially those of you that are kind of starting out. It, it's kind of a, it's kind of like a, a cliff notes cheat sheet on how to kind of begin to write a song. Just stay tuned for part two. 